Um, good morning. It's always, um, <laughs> it's always a bit of a shame to interrupt all the chatter, but um, I, I, I think it's time. So uh, I'm, I'm going to start. My name's Stephanie. I'm part of the team here at Redeemer. I, uh, hmm. This is my first Sunday of preaching in about four months. I've taken some time off to focus on our family for a, a series of reasons. And um, uh, it feels like a real privilege to be back. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful. I want to first up honor Dave Armstrong, our team lead, who's not even here, but is in sunny Portugal. But Dave Armstrong leads our team in a very quiet, godly manner. And he seems to know what we all need before we know. And so just after Steve became ill, he texted me and said, forget your preaching slots, they're covered. Um, and it is a privilege to serve on a team with a guy who leads in that manner. It really is. And I want to honor him publicly. And he'll only get the honor if he listens to the podcast. So there you go, Dave. Um, a friend on Friday night said to me, are you going to talk about what you've learned in the last few months? And I don't want to make this morning about me because I don't think that's particularly helpful. So I was thinking about our journey in 2019 and I was thinking about a lot of the journeys in this room so far in 2019 in the areas of health and of relationships particularly. And I've been really struck that many of us have been walking tough days, that many of us have been walking days we didn't imagine. And I want to begin with this beautiful quote from C.S. Lewis because I testify to that. God whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And if I had one learning from the last four months, it is that God is good and God is faithful. God is good and God is faithful. And one of the, the spiritual elders of this community, Gillian Stewart, she said to me at the beginning of the year, faithful is the word for this year. And she's absolutely right. She's absolutely on it. And I believe that this year, us as a community, we are being called to, first of all, trust in the faithfulness of God, but also show our faithfulness to God. And so when I think of these last few months and I look around you and I see some of the stories that you represent... I want to remind you that God is good and God is faithful. And bad theology, in my view, has taught us that God is good and God is faithful. And we only believe it when our present circumstances are good. And that is poor theology. The story of God tells us that he is good and he is faithful regardless. And you might not see his goodness in what you're currently living, but he is there. He is with you and around you by his spirit. And if I've learned anything in these last months, it is that the quiet work of the Holy Spirit, the beautiful encourager, is around us, before us, and beside us, no matter what, no matter what. And so I say to you this morning that if you're working, if you're walking tough days, look to the spirit. He is there. He is with you and he is around you. Eugene Peterson puts it so well. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there be a long obedience in the same direction. So if you're walking through a season that you feel you just have to keep plodding in the same direction, keep going. Keep going. Do it in community and do it in a thankful way because something will result 
in the long run and something that will always make life worth living. And that is our testimony as a family and we choose it and we choose to continue walking in it that no matter what, we are, God is good and God is faithful. I want to just invite, now I, I, we were praying for a work of the Spirit. It's not like the Spirit's not here, he is here. But we need more. We need more. And so I want to invite you, beautiful, precious Holy Spirit, who comes above and beyond and around and beside. Come and have your way. We give you our yes. We long for more of you. We long to see more of your work in this community, in our lives, and in this nation. And so in these moments, come. Come and have your beautiful way amongst us and be so very present and so very known to us. In the precious and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've been working our way through Holy Week. We've had a beautiful time, I believe, and I hope that each of you have taken time this Holy Week and Easter to reflect on the King and his kingdom. Last week, Ryan challenged us to live resurrected lives, and that really resonated with me, to live a resurrected life and to throw myself completely in for the King and for the kingdom. And when Jesus spoke on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was heralding in the work of a completely new rescue plan for all of creation. This new world, it wasn't us going to heaven, it was heaven invading earth. And he he reminded us that all that had been promised through the story of God was now coming through his resurrection. And that is good news for us. When we study the four gospel accounts, they all tell us slightly different stories of the resurrection. When we ask the gospels to give us an an unambiguous facts, they always disappoint. They always disappoint. The New Testament is simply a series of slanting beams of light on a truth that always slightly evades us and calls us to focus on him to focus on him. Reading it gives us a yearning for the promised new creation, the belief that out of death will always come life. And there is always hope, hope of a new life, the upside down kingdom that is contrary to the one that we have known. And Jesus taught us by his life and by his death and by his resurrection that this new kingdom on earth, the one that his death and resurrection heralded in, all the beliefs and cultural norms were going to be gone. Everything that was of that day was over. Christ ushered in this new era of life and liberation in the presence of women. And he commanded women to be the ones to go and give the first witnesses to the climax of his gospel story. This, I would boldly suggest, was his most overt affirmation of our equality as women in the kingdom. This is why my title is Jesus, the Equal Rights Campaigner. I had two responses to my title. One of my friends said to me, are we really still having this conversation about women and equal rights? (laughs) And another friend said to me, oh, that's quite brave. Oh, that's a bit risky. And so today, I want to draw our attention to the days after the crucifixion and the witnesses to the resurrection and from them draw some challenges to us as individuals and as a community of Jesus followers. I also want to say to the women or those of us who are sitting thinking, 
are we really still having this conversation? Then I'm calling you out, woman. I'm calling you out and saying, start using your voice to bring peace and hope and the way of Jesus to this community and to this nation. Don't sit any longer. And for those of you who thought, maybe she's being a little bit risky this morning, I'm hoping that, I can see your, that you can start to see your place in the kingdom, in the new world that Jesus was creating. And so I want to pick up the story in Matthew. I'm going to read it to you from the Christian Standard Version, simply because that's the version I study in my, uh, myself. So it's not on your table, but it should be behind you. Okay. I'm starting just where uh, where there's the first mention of women, so this is still at the cross. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and ministered to him were there, looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for the body, and Pilate ordered that it be released. He took the body, he wrapped it in clean, fine, beautiful linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that whilst this deceiver was still alive, he said, after three days I will rise again. Therefore, give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of stories, of soldiers, Pilate said, go and make it as secure as you know how. And then they went and made the tomb secure. They sealed the stone and they set the guard. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, do not be afraid. Because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, good morning. (laughs) Good morning. They came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Where were the male disciples? They had disappeared at the Garden of Gethsemane. They had gone into hiding. Where were the women? They anointed the Messiah. They sat at the cross. They heard his cries from the cross. They waited at the tomb. And then they went to prepare his body for burial. They witnessed the resurrection. 
Mary Magdalene was reported in all four Gospels as weeping before, during, and after the crucifixion. Jesus' ministry embodies equality, honor, and respect for women, not only by what he taught, but by how he lived. When he was on the cross, I cannot begin to imagine what the pain was, emotional and physical. And he honored his mom. He said to John, here is your mother, and to Mary, here is your son. Even in the throes of his death, he honored his mother, and he honored women. That, to me, is quite phenomenal and astounding. He was in absolute agony, and yet he honored his mum. In this deeply patriarchal society where women were first at the tomb, and they were the first witnesses, and they were the first ones to be sent out to herald in the new kingdom. I want to consider, so that we really appreciate how astounding this was, I want us to think about the culture of the time and see the significance then of women. At that time, women were not considered credible witnesses in a court of law. Weren't allowed to speak. The thinking suggested that women were prone to superstition and they were very gullible to fantasy and particularly gullible in religious matters. I read an amazing quote about that. The cultural assumption was that God prioritized men when dealing with revelation. And in rabbinical law, only two free men could ever be considered as witnesses. Women were considered fickle and prone to hysteria. I read some of the quotes about the culture of that time. And if I'm really honest, I wondered have we really moved that far? I wonder if we really moved that far or do we still on some level look at women and slightly think, She's a bit emotional. She's a bit prone to hysteria. I don't know if there's any woman in the room have ever come under that. But I want to say to you this morning, this story puts you in your rightful place and your voice must be heard. And your emotions and your sensitivity and your compassion, they are your gifts. They are your gifts. Do not ever be ashamed of them. And if you're a woman who's been held down under any of these assumptions, I say in the name of Jesus to you this morning, you're free. And when you're free in Jesus, you're free indeed. Step up, speak out, because we need you. This nation needs you in these days. If we think of the events of the last week and what has happened to women in this culture, and we think of the women who have spoken and spoken up for peace. We need more of them, and I call you out this morning in the name of Jesus. I call you out. Given all of the cultural beliefs and assumptions, it's so significant that the story of the risen Christ comes to the male disciples through women. The male disciples only saw Jesus for themselves when they went against everything that their culture would say, and they believed the woman, and they went to Galilee. The church's belief in the resurrecting of Jesus originated in these women. So let's go for it, girls. I love this quote from the 18th century by Matthew Arnold. If there ever comes a time when the women of the world come together purely and simply for the benefit of mankind, it will be a force such as the world has never known. He said that in the 1800s. Let's say it again today. Let's say it again today. I want to reflect on Mary Magdalene as her story speaks of sin, of repentance, 
of her sexuality, and also of the humanity of Jesus. When one in four women of that culture were called Mary, we know it was her because she came from Magdala, which was a little fishing village. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, and so she's quite an important woman. She traveled with Jesus, and we're told that he supported, that she supported his ministry, so she was a rich woman. She had money, and she supported the ministry. We also know that she suffered with demonic possession and that she had seven demons. We don't know what they were, but we can imagine that they caused her severe, severe emotional and psychological trauma. One of the commentators I read suggested that when it talked about the seven demons, what it was saying was that on six occasions they had tried to exercise the demons from her. And it was only on the seventh occasion when she had an experience of Jesus that she was set free. And when he sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. And so this morning I want to say to any of you in the room who feel that you're bound in patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, patterns of emotional difficulties that you just keep going back to and you've tried everything the world has to offer, Given that I'm one of the women who help try with the world, everything the world has to offer, I say this boldly and in faith. Come to Jesus and allow him to complete your healing. Allow him to set you free because when he sets you free, you are free indeed. We know that Mary would have been completely overwhelmed by them and Jesus brought her freedom. And when she was finally healed, Can you imagine many years of demonic possession? We can't, perhaps we can't. But when Jesus finally set her free, she had, he had her absolute and utter devotion. Her absolute and utter devotion. I love this slide. It's a lengthy quote, but I think it's worth it. It's from Dorothy Sayers, who has written a lot about women and and, uh, their relationship with Jesus. Perhaps it's no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There never had been such another. A prophet and a teacher who never nagged them, flattered, coaxed, or patronized them, who never made jokes about them, never treated them either as the woman, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without querulousness and praised without condescension, who took their questions and their arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend, who took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious. There's no act, no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows its pungency from male perversity. Female perversity, nobody could possibly guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about woman's nature. What a beautiful quote, what a beautiful way to sum up. So if we are to reflect on these women So here you've Mary Magdalene, you've Mary whose sons were followers of Jesus. Other gospels tell us Salome was there and they're all heading up on Sunday morning to prepare the body. So when I was 18, I moved to Belfast from Hollywood. It wasn't a big move to be fair, but I I lived in the Towers and I trained as a nurse in the Royal. 
And when you're a nurse on the ward, you are the lowest of the low. When you're a student nurse, you are the bottom of the pecking order. And so you get the jobs that really everybody else is hoping not to have to do. And so one of the jobs as an 18 and a half year old, really desperately naive girl, I did more on many occasions was to wash a body after someone had passed away and get them ready to go to the morgue. And it was a sobering, humbling and often very unpleasant um, job. And it was one that I, I didn't relish at all. I look back and I, I realize I was so young and so naive and it was a tough thing to have to do. But it was this, the task of a student nurse. And it all changed for me when I did a long placement in one ward and there was a simply beautiful nun who was dying. And I, I can honestly say I adored her. I did a week of nights when she was dying. She was no longer able to eat. And once I had all my other jobs done, I would literally spend the night holding her hand, either while she slept or we would talk. And she no longer was able to eat. And she said to me the first night, what's your favorite thing to eat? Now it was the 1980s and I hadn't been raised in a family with a lot of money. And my absolute delight was a salmon fillet. 1985, that was a big thing. And so I said to her, I love salmon fillets, actually. And every night for seven nights, this woman who no longer was able to eat food, when I walked into her little side ward, she would just nod at her locker. And on her locker was this perfectly poached salmon fillet and a bowl of salad. And I would sit, I wouldn't leave her to go down to the canteen and eat lasagna and chips like everybody else was having. It was the royal and it was the 80s. I ate a beautiful salmon fillet and we talked. And so every day she got the nuns from her convent to bring me what was a treat for me. And I know, I was, she came back to my mind this week when I was thinking about these women going to the tomb. And I know that we spent hours talking theology and faith and what was about to happen because when you're dying, there's no point in holding back. I remember none of it. What I remember was her kindness to me. And I want to remind you this morning that in all our relationships, in all our connections, show the kindness of Jesus because that will last in people's minds and hearts so much longer than your theology and your arguments and your points that you have to make. Show the kindness of Jesus. I saw Jesus in her night after night. And there was very particular instructions about how her body was to be dressed for the morgue. She wasn't to be in the, the generalized um, sheet. Shroud. Forgot the word there. And so the night that she died, she died very close to the end of my shift. And nothing would have taken me off that ward till I did what needed to be done for her. Nothing. Because even though we'd only known each other for a short time, I loved her. And it was an absolute privilege. And suddenly what had been a pretty horrible, tough task became a privilege. Now that is nothing compared with what these women felt for Jesus. It's nothing. But it reminded me this week that when you're in relationship with someone, all of these rhythms and cultural expectations are beautiful. And so the Jewish custom of this time was to wait for the Sabbath 
Go and prepare the body. I read that it took 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and spices to prepare a body. So they gathered themselves. You weren't allowed to touch the body on Sabbath. So on Friday night, Jesus died around 9 p.m. They would three hours before Sabbath began to get the body away with Joseph. And then first thing Sunday morning, these women were up and at it. These women were up and ready and they were on their way. I would love to have been there walking down that road. I would love to have been there when they were thinking because there was a 2,000 pound stone that was in front of the tomb and it wasn't just there, it had been sealed and there was a guard. So did these three lovely women not think, how are we gonna deal with the stone? They didn't. They were going to do what they wanted to do for the one that they loved. And so they got there. And then I want to take you, when they got there, I want to read you again the angel. Was the, this is the first preach of the new age. And it was given by the angel and then it was repeated by Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he is indeed going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. In Hebrew thought and in in that time when a small phrase was given, it was a reminder to the people to go back to the longer phrase in the Old Testament. So when you saw a small phrase, you went back to where it was first spoken of. And so do not be afraid links us directly back to Deuteronomy 31, verse eight. Do not be afraid. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. This is the paradoxical statement of his presence because only God can go ahead of us and is with us at the same time and he will always be around and about us. So when I said at the beginning that poor theology that makes us think that our circumstances always have to be good, that's not the biblical promise. That's not the word of the story of God. The story of God is that the Lord is the one who goes before you, he is with you, and he will not leave you nor abandon you. So do not be afraid or discouraged. So whatever you're walking through this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, do not be afraid. He is with you and he is around you. As I was preparing this week, I, I started to think about those 2,000 pound stones that were blocking the, them from the presence of the king. I'm going to take it a little bit further, so stay with me. But I was thinking about those 2,000 pound stones and how the woman didn't really think, how are we going to get rid of it? They were going to sort it. Maybe that's what women do, I don't know. But um, I said to, I was in conversation with God and I said, when I think about what Ryan spoke about last week, about the call to throw ourselves 100% into the kingdom, to throw ourselves completely under the kingship of Jesus, I said, God, show me, show me what are the stones that are blocking me. Show me what the stones that are blocking me. 
And I'm going to talk about what he talked with me about in, in the first person because I'm asking myself these questions. But I invite you to do the same. And I sense that God showed me two stones that are blocking me from living all out and from living a fully resurrected life. And I'm asking them of myself, I'm asking them of Steve, and I'm inviting you to do the same. And one is my thought life. One is my thought life. I spend my day with teenagers and we use apps. We use apps to track motions, mood, anxiety, all sorts of things are really helpful. Um, And I was thinking about them and I thought, imagine if there was an app that tracked my thought life all day. Imagine an app that just gave me a narrative of what I had thought about and focused about all day so that every evening I could just scroll through it and see what I had focused on. Because what I'm focusing on is where my heart is. What I'm thinking about is where my heart is. And I remembered that beautiful piece of wisdom in Philippians 4. Finally, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so, Redeemer, I invite you to ask yourselves, if you were looking at your thought life of an evening, would it speak to a resurrected life? Would it speak to one who was completely sold out to the king and his kingdom. Can I say that? And the other, the other stone that Jesus showed me this week as I prepared and I offer it to us all is our finances. I have an app on my phone. Stephen and I have a joint account. It's on an app and I can sit and look at it. And if I was to sit today, tomorrow, next week, I invite you to do the same. If I was to look at how I spend, how we spend our money, our money that is given to us to flow out, would it speak of a resurrected life? Would it speak that my priority was to Jesus and the King? It's a good one to think about. Matthew 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if I think of Gillian's word for the year about faithfulness, she talked about how we would, as a community, experience the faithfulness of God, but that God in these days was also asking us to be faithful to him. And we will only be faithful to him by living fully for him in the kingdom and living a resurrected life. And I have felt personally challenged and I would invite you to join me and consider this and think, what's my thought life? What are my stones? Your stones might be different. But these are the stones that I felt God gave me and I felt they weren't just for me. And so I invite us to prayerfully and gently consider what these stones might mean to us and are they blocking us from going all out for God? I also thought about this other visual where the woman at the grave, they were looking at the grave clothes. They were going to the tomb and they were looking at the grave clothes. And it was only when they looked up that they saw the angel. It was only when they looked up. And I think there are some of us in this room this morning and you are looking at the grave clothes of what is dead and what you've lost and what you've missed out on. And as long as you look at the grave clothes, you won't see the new life. You won't see the resurrected one. 
who is right beside you and who is making all things new. And as we sang this morning, he makes everything glorious. He makes you glorious. He makes me glorious. He makes us as a community glorious. And so as long as we sit and we stare at the grave clothes of the disappointments, the losses, the deaths, the things we thought were going to happen that didn't happen, we're missing out on the resurrected life that is right beside us. And so I invite you this morning to start to think, where, where am I focusing my attention? Am I on the grave clothes or am I looking for the resurrected life that I am invited into? And so as we come to end, I want us to move towards the table. The cross in that day said the, the crime of the person. Can you imagine the shame that when you were crucified in those days, what you had done wrong was written on the top of your cross. So there was no hiding from what had gone wrong. And on the top, because they didn't know what to put on Jesus because he hadn't committed a crime, they wrote King of the Jews. King of the Jews. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Charles Spurgeon tells us we're more likely to want a savior than a king. We are more likely to want a savior than a king. And so if I choose Jesus as my king, then I am relinquishing complete control of my life. I am giving it to him and I am saying you are over and in every detail of my life. This new way of living that the gospel demands of us is to hand over our control and to live by grace. When we bow to Jesus, we go all in for him and we receive exactly what we're scared is going to happen. What we think we're going to lose when we bow to authority is freedom. And yet the Bible tells us that when we bow to the authority of the king, we receive freedom. And when he sets us free, we are free indeed. And so this is the paradox of Easter, that the new world is here in the old world. And when we give the king our yes, we become part of his new kingdom. We live a resurrected life and we throw ourselves in. Charles Clarence Jordan wrote this, the resurrection of Jesus was simply God's unwillingness to take our no for an answer. He raised Jesus, not as an invitation to us to come to heaven when we die, but as a declaration that he himself has now established permanent, eternal residence here on earth. He is standing beside us, strengthening us in this life. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus is not that we shall die and go home to be with him, but that he is risen and comes home with us and he brings with him all his hungry, naked, thirsty and sick prisoners. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand. And I would invite the band to come. As we begin to approach the table, I want to pray with us and over us. I want to remind us of this calling that is on our lives, Redeemer. It comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him.
to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That is the call in your life, every last one of you this morning. You have been called. You've been made holy. And you have a king. You have a king. And so I ask you to change your posture because I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come in his beautiful, gentle power. And I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is imparted to you the moment you give your yes to the king. The moment you give your yes. But there is always more. And if you're here this morning and you have never experienced the touch of the Spirit or you long for more, please allow us to pray for you. It would be our utmost privilege to invite the beautiful Spirit of the one of the Most High God to come and minister to you at your point of need, whatever it is. And so I invite you to open your arms. Father, Mother, God, we come to you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you went to the cross and you would have gone for every one of us if we were the only one. And we soften our hearts and we give you our yes. And we say, come Holy Spirit, come in your gentle ways, come in your powerful ways, come and surprise us. Come and surprise us. And for those of us who have never known your touch, let today be the day that we give you our yes and we say yes to the king of the kingdom. We say we no longer live under the cultural norms and the expectations and the assumptions of this world. We are a people who long to see heaven on earth and we bring heaven to earth. And we bring heaven to earth through your spirit. And so come and move amongst us. Come and move amongst us. Come and move amongst us. And as we begin to sing and we begin to worship and we begin to come to the table, I would invite those who will pray with us to come and and be available. And we were talking earlier about the work of the Holy Spirit. He is here. It's not like we have to ask him to show up. He's here. He is in us and through us and around us. And he will meet you at the point of your need. He will meet you every time at the point of your need. And whatever your need is this morning, the beautiful spirit of the most high God is here and is at work. So allow us to stand with you and pray for you. So come, come and celebrate the the resurrected one. Come and celebrate the one who is your king. And as you come forward, if you feel able to, remind him that you give him your yes and you want more and you long to live all out for the king and his kingdom. Because it is all about the king and his kingdom. So I invite you to come and worship. Come and take the bread and the wine and remember the beautiful work that was wrought, not only on the cross, but in the resurrection.